Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. You think about the person in your life, when you started, believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifices. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. Now, I want them talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bardi. Hello Bardi. Hello Windy. And our tactics guy and a specky four eyes, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello Nathan. Um, I think you'll find. (laughs) Yeah, in your new spectacles you're really living up to the the nerd Mm -hmm. persona. You look very nice. Thank you mate. And your eyes are comfortable, that's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very low energy today, how are you guys feeling? I've been um, I've been rushed at work. I, I'm on leave from next week, so um, I should have just gone on leave from Friday instead of doing a Monday because mm. I pushed everything that I could have done on the Friday to the Monday. Why would you do that? No, I don't know. I made bad decisions, a bit like our central midfielder, who's perhaps not quite as tactical as we thought. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, uh, body's overrun at work, you're feeling low energy, and because we're recording later, I'm just back in my run and I'm <laughs> having a nice sit down for a while. So, um, it's going to be a great um, pod, guys. Woo! No, I'm also yeah. having a beer. I'm also having a beer because no, I'm not working out today, a holiday tomorrow. So, I'm oh, having yeah. a beer. So, I'm, I could be all right. I'll get, I'll get it up. And... Get ready for some big, angry takes. Yeah, as always. <laughs> Uh, before we before we get stuck into the Luton game, um, I just wanted to clarify. Last week, I think people thought I was having a go at Romero generally, and uh, and I really wasn't. I was sort of saying that I love Romero. I absolutely love Romero. I think he's amazing, and I think he's an incredible defender. But I didn't want him uh, being the one that carried the ball into the final third when we had the man advantage. And I think people took that as me criticising him generally, which absolutely I <laughs> was not. And I. You know, he's not deserving of criticism. You I was criticising Postacoglu, um, of anything. You seem to be criticising quite a few of our players these days, Windy. Romero, Saar, who else? Who, who are you going to get this week? Basuma, obvs. <laughs> and also, we, we need to talk about your, your little comment that you put into Discord before the looting game about me. Like, yeah. you, you, came, you came at me. I admire that. You came at me, pew, 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 you fired shots. I did, but, I did, you know, I did. Boy era, mate. Do you want to, do yes. you want to admit what you said? I, yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, ahead of the Luton game, I was seeing lots of people in the Discord and on Twitter saying, oh, you know, really worried that Spurs are going to get low blocked and countered by Luton today and not feeling confident at all about the result. And I was like, what the hell, you know, Luton don't even play low block. Why are you worried? Why are you people worried? And I, I watched all of the goals that Luton had conceded. Uh, and what I saw in that bit of analysis that I did was Luton conceding from every conceivable possible avenue. They were conceding from set pieces, crosses, cutbacks, through balls, defensive errors, long range shots. They basically were uh, just rubbish. Um, and so I sent round my weekly email to the ex-subs with this bit of analysis explaining all of the goals they conceded, what happened in that goal and said, look, 
we don't need to worry. It's going to be it's going to be an absolute walk in the park. We're going to rack up some goals today. Don't worry about Son not scoring because they concede plenty to through balls. And then I went in the uh, Discord and I said, Richarlison is going to make Bardi pay today. <laughs> Thinking that he's going to notch a few. Didn't you say he's going to make Bardi cry? I think I said he's going to make you pay. Uh, and I, I, I kind of cry. meant it literally. <laughs> <laughs> literally pay Nathan some money. Um, but as it turned out, Richarlison made me pay with his finishing uh, and, and made Nathan pay even more. Um, missing two sitters inside the first, what, six minutes, something like that. Yeah, not ideal. Um, so we, when we saw the lineup announced, the I guess the main news was that Richarlison was starting on the left again. Uh, pretty happy with that, Nathan. Yeah, I think so. I did a I did a like a a poll and a bit of chat beforehand about some other options that would include giving Son a bit of a rest because he's his minutes have been managed so far and he's playing through an injury. Was there a discussion of what that injury actually is the other day? So you got if like there a, was, I've missed it. I think he has. Ah, uh, they some they said, but I can't remember what it was. Maybe like a groin strain or something. I can't remember. Okay. Sorry. Um, and then obviously he's going to probably play 180 minutes for for Korea. Mm. Um, and so I was saying like, hey, maybe given the style of football we expect Luton to play and Sun's characteristics, this could be one where Richarlison plays up top and we bring Yago Santiago into the team or we could keep Richarlison wide and bring Valise as a battering ram or bring Donnelly into the team in some way. Uh, maybe maybe there are some Brian Hill fitness optimists out there as well. Mm-hmm. And that would be an option. So I was speculating beforehand about some of the options available to us, but I definitely wasn't surprised that someone's on the team sheet. Mm. Um, it, it was definitely what we were expecting, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, whilst I did think this was going to be an easy game, I don't think you, if Son is fit and able to play, I think you, you have to play him and then ideally take him off early. Um as it turned out, we, we couldn't take him off as early as we'd have liked because mm. we, we didn't put the chances away, Bardi. No, it was um, it was quite an exhibition, the first 20 minutes of Tottenham. Yeah. It was some beautiful football. Yeah, man. But um, let down with Charleston, let himself down, he let us down. Poro had a really nice opportunity and Son yep. and Madison were a little bit off it, but it was some lovely stuff. You know, we could have been three, four goals out of sight, everybody rest up and take it easy, but they, we made it difficult for ourselves. This was always going to be the um, the kind of difficult, the, the kind of last hurdle because we've had a good start. And I think it was our eighth game last season we kind of fell apart. So there was always that kind of floating around the narrative. So um, ultimately we got through it. They, they tested us because they're just big physical lumps. And uh, we did make it a bit too difficult than, than it should have been. Mm. Yeah, Ange said that this was the best football we've played so far. And I, I would agree with him. Mm. I thought we, we knocked it around really well. Um, and yeah, the finishing was so off. I mean, so Richardson defenders would say he got pulled back for the first one. You still have to score that. You have to put that away. You know, stretching for it. It's it's not as easy as it looks, but it's still easy. It, you just get something on that, and nine times out of ten, it's going to go in. I think he just misreads the bounce, right? He I agree. It's going to come up much lower than it does, and there's but there's spin on the ball that causes it to to rise, and then he has to switch late on to his his weak foot, and he just doesn't get that in time. Yeah. And and personally, I thought the second chance was probably even easier. You know, maybe his first touch was a little bit too into his body, yeah. not quite out of his stride enough. But even then, he'd set it well enough to be able to get a nice clean strike away. And um, he's got to bury that. And then the Poro one as well, like Bardi said, you know, he's he's through one on one and toe pokes it wide. I mean, at that point, were you were you worried, Bardi? Were you thinking, oh god, we're going to get done here? No, I wasn't worried while we had 11 on the pitch. I thought it was just a matter of time because we, we're generating these opportunities. They're going to keep coming. We're going to score. Yeah. I did get concerned at 10 because I was like, when we were at 10 men, I'm like, I've seen this before. I've seen this game many, many times. And I just thought they would they would score a jammy goal. We would then charge after it and perhaps they might score another jammy goal. We might lose it. So I was concerned about that. But I do think I do think this is, this is an issue with Richarlison. His... Um, his inability to finish opportunities, his kind of lack of a clinical edge is a massive issue for us, I think. And um, yeah, th- this could have hurt us. Those two golden chances could have hurt us. Uh, I I think that the most important skill is your ability to move off the ball and get chances and the goals will come and and the couple already have and uh, I'm, I'm so unconcerned. He's not a great finisher and, and obviously when the direct comparisons are Kane and Son who are two of the greatest finishers the game has ever seen or will ever see um, 
<laughs> he's always going to look bad. Up, yeah, uh, yeah he, he can't. But he's like he's a below average finisher, right? He's a below average oh, finisher. Yeah. That's it's 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 one of the weaknesses of his game. But also, um, if you're putting up, um, you know. 15 expected goals in a season you're gonna you're gonna score some goals i i'm i was unworried in that game and i'm unworried about this season and i'm unworried about him as a player and uh i don't know like haven't we isn't this like a 2015 2016 era type conversation he's he's getting the chances he'll score goals and and Mm -hmm. we'll score goals and we were getting chances and and we're creating chances Mm. and maybe but like if you're a good musician and you're you're sat at home strumming away really good and then you go up on stage and you and you chunk it up every time then yeah there you know there's there's a problem here and um i don't i just don't i don't trust him i've arrived at this point now where i don't trust him to get those opportunities so i think his movement and everything else it's great really nice i enjoy that but i think the fact that he can't put the ball in the net is now becoming an issue for the team and it causes the team stress because we end the pressure builds and it builds and all of a sudden you get to 20 minutes and we now have to start forcing things the game hasn't opened up and you get to 44 minutes and Basuma is running at the box and he forced it he went for a dive because he was trying to force a situation Mm. and I just think if you've got a forward that pop pop tucks it away then Basuma doesn't get sent off I know it's weird and then I'm doing some leaps to the late Mm. but I think the stress and the tension of Basuma having to kind of make the tackles to stop a counter-attack because it's still nil-nil on 35 minutes his misses after six minutes elevates all the stress and the tension and I just the the Luton striker the big number nine Morris he buries both of those opportunities and I just think I think this is a problem now with Richarlison that his his inability to score stresses the rest of the team out so counterpoint to that is that Richarlison's ability to get in the box and get into dangerous positions makes him way more of a goal threat than any alternatives we have on the left hand side and I think oh yeah there's no one yeah. there. We, we have no alternatives. That's I 100% agree. And I'm not saying Richarlison shouldn't start. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I think uh, he's put himself, for me, ahead of Johnson for now as well. I know I really like the idea of Johnson being a left-sided player for Spurs. But I think I thought Richarlison played really well against Liverpool. I thought he got into some great positions against Luton. If he scores a couple of those goals, like the whole narrative is so different. And that's it's it sh- we shouldn't be making sweeping statements because of that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's 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 like. That's what I'm here to do. Yeah, no, I know, but at the same time, I do understand what you're saying because I actually agree with your narrative that Basuma does what he does because Richarlison hasn't bagged a couple of goals. Did you feel tense at, at 44 minutes or whatever it was? Were you were you nervous? Were you scared? No. Uh, however, um, so on 16 minutes, they yeah. flashed up as a statistic on on TNT Sports, which is what BT Sports is called now. That Spurs had had 133 completed passes to Luton's nine <laughs> at that stage, and I was I was like, that is this is ridiculous. This is this is an absolute you know spanking. We're paddling them. We should be miles ahead, and we will be miles ahead in, by half time. And then what happened, in my opinion, is that Spurs were almost finding it too easy, and they got complacent. And soon after that statistic flashed up on my screen, we saw. Poro lose the ball in midfield. Udogi lose the ball in midfield. Then I think um, Romero, rather than just doing what he'd been doing for the first 20 minutes and just keeping the ball moving sideways to Van der Ven or back to Vicario just to create the angles, he tries a long ball which gets which gets uh, blocked and Luton sort of have a bit of possession and it leads to a corner and their crowd get interested. And as soon as their crowd got interested, I think I feel like it lifted their players and it made ours more and more nervous. And whilst I was really confident that we would win the game still, by the time it got to 40 plus minutes, there was a slight desperation in Spurs and they they weren't playing as calmly as they had been. And so when Basuma is, as Bardi said, trying to force it, it's come from a point of, right, we deserve to be in up here. We don't want to come out and have to like chase the game for 45 minutes Let's get this done. Let's get this moving. And so he does something really rash. I mean, he's probably expecting a tackle that doesn't come. And so it makes it look really awful. But to take that unnecessary chance comes from, in my view, a sense of, of building pressure. Yeah. Also, Luton scored a goal as well. It was disallowed for a foul, mm. but they scored a goal. And there was, like Windy, I agree 100% Windy. There was never 
concern when it was 11 against 11, but there was a definite change in the team because we Luton had survived. You know, they'd survived. The, they would have thought to themselves, let's get through 20 minutes to see what happened. But we'd allowed it. Richardson's misses and Poro's misses and Son and Madison, the rest of them. We'd allowed a situation to build where all of a sudden, it, you know, likelihood was still we were going to win and we did win, but it was an opportunity for Luton to get in and, in and, and amongst us. And it always had a cup tie, tie flavour to it as well. Yeah. You know, with, with the way the stadium is, with how poor Luton are in terms of technical ability you know genuinely one of the worst Premier League teams I've ever seen um it felt like David against Goliath it felt like even you know we, what we eighth last year we, we we're not like one of the Champions League teams this year but it felt like this huge team going up against these minnows and and the crowd really believed that there was a sort of um yeah it, it felt to me it felt like an FA Cup match uh I, I guess, like, if you're going to say uh, Richarlison not scoring had an effect on Basuma's decision uh, to dive, that uh, Basuma's dive denied Richarlison the opportunity to score two oh, goals yeah. in the second half, right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, so, you know, Basuma makes that ridiculous decision and, <laughs> and walks off the pitch, um, and I am livid at him. I am fuming. Um, and and I knew what that meant. I knew that meant Richarlison coming off and Hoybier coming on because we needed a pivot player. So could it not have been Sar with with Madison dropping into a midfield too, or is that too risky? Too risky, especially in this game. And I don't think Madison's fully fit. I think Fair we enough. needed Sar's energy. Yeah, yeah. I think we had. Um, I think we needed Sar Sar's energy. Um, oh, I don't. Do I do this? Okay. So we had this email from from Joel Hooten. Um, can we chat about Saar? I might have an unpopular opinion, but I'm not convinced. I love his youth and energy, but his touch is, in my opinion, a liability. Facing our goal, he reminds me of Son tracking back and receiving the ball. You know his touch will be loose, but it's often in the opposing team's half. With Saar, it seems the same, and yet in much more dangerous areas to give up the ball. I'm looking forward to him coming on as a sub to take to take on over from Benton Court on 60 to 70 minutes. Um, and... I kind of agree that I don't think Saar has the the deftness of touch to play that deepest midfield role where he's taking the ball so often under pressure. Um, and I've, I felt he really struggled initially in the in the second half until we switched to... Um, uh, uh, we changed our formation. We played 5-3-1 and Saar was again a part of midfield three and I thought he was brilliant from that point. I thought he was back to his best and really drove us on in the last 20 minutes. But I don't like the idea of him as a pivot. Uh, Nathan, where are you on Saar? Uh, I, I, I don't feel too differently to you. I just feel like um, this is where like uh, uh, being a podcaster gets in the yeah. way of being an analyst, yeah. right? Yeah. Because Spurs fans don't want to hear this right I think now. Saar's really I, good. He's he a really, really good. good player and he's especially really good for his age. But we need to like talk about him in a rounded way we can appreciate his strengths but also say where there are some deficiencies yeah and and i think that you know games like this where space will be limited are games where he's going to struggle and then later on in the game it opened up more and we could play more on the break and then his ball carrying was really really significant in us seeing yeah. out that game yeah um i just don't want to i just don't want to invest too much time in a given yeah. episode to, to, to doing this man it's, I, it's, it's a I'm, fair point. I'm with you, but like, um, uh, he's good. He's largely good. So, are, I, you, are you saying that you would have put him in as the pivot? No, I'm saying it was the only other thing that I think was an option. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Wendy. I don't think Sar can play the six. I don't trust him with his back to the opposition. But he's an almighty box to box. He is. He's unbelievable box-to-box. And he did struggle the first 15, 20 minutes of the second half where he was having to do something a little bit different. But then when we swapped, swapped it out, he's he's sensational. No one else can run like that. No one else can break lines like that with just pure athleticism. He's he's a wonderful player. And I really like the way... I really like the way he moves. <laughs> he glides. He gallops. He, yeah, he transcends just... the temporal spatial limits. <laughs> his legs. When his legs get going, he does remind me of a Patrick Vieira because he's just able to gobble up ground and mm. the ball is there from a bad touch, but he always gets to it because he's just he got has... his leg just comes out. He's sensational that way. But I totally agree with you. Like he can't play the pivot. He can't play the Basuma role. And um, but he's not there to play that role. That's, yeah. Do, do you ever have dreams? that you can fly <laughs> no I don't know sometimes I have this dream where I do this kind of 
gliding walk which eventually leads to me sort of taking off and and sort of striding through the air and and that's how Saar moves on the football pitch he 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 sort of glides um and he looks so elegant in doing it um he's a beautiful player he's beautiful i love he's watching a, him play he's technically uh in my opinion suited to the box to box role and not to the six role i think he's also tactically much more suited to the the eight role i think he's really smart in the way he plays that role, really smart yeah. in the way he arrives in the box. And the closest we have in our squad to Saar, I think, is Bentancourt. And I think they're a really nice match for like being able to cover one another yeah. um, in, within cool. the squad. And if, if Bentancourt isn't quite the same player, which is a real possibility, then it's it's nice to know we've got a, a brilliant player in Saar who can, who can play that role. Um, so anyway, Hoybier comes on at halftime, Richarlison sacrificed... Um, we give up a ridiculous chance right after the break. And I'm thinking, Christ, you know, <laughs> I thought we'd be fine with 10, but maybe not. Like, that's that's a tap-in. If he goes with the other foot, that's a tap-in. Can I just rewind to the first half quickly? Because I want to talk about um, something that's been a bit of a pattern, not just in this game, but throughout the season, which is um, uh, playing quite quickly through the lines when we're dominating possession. Um, not... not um, inviting the opposition to camp out in their own box and and just play sort of half pitch football but um you know including against Luton who are sort of notoriously low block low possession um inviting out their sort of medium press and then trying to quickly get the ball through to Madison and then who instantly plays a a ball through on goal um and this is something that which game was it Sheffield United frustrated me against Sheffield United a little um and I think we saw it materialise here in this game where like okay opening 15 minutes we're like catching them off guard completely and we created like I don't know <laughs> just shy of two expected goals <laughs> in the opening 15 minutes which is ridiculous <laughs> Um, but then I think that that they the Luton adjusted and 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 sat off more um, and and dropped their line a bit and then we were still trying to play that high tempo immediate um, combination play like four passes from the centre back to be through on goal type stuff and that that didn't quite suit um, and I think that that's interesting because it's very different to how Celtic played because obviously Celtic were facing um, a low block basically every week yeah. Um, but I guess I've sort of reflected on why that was the case. And there's actually quite a few differences between um, last season Celtic, this season Tottenham. And I guess that's just mainly down to the personnel that we're missing that that 1v1 specialist that, that, that Sun doesn't have the physical presence that you, okay, again, obviously Kyogo didn't have, um, but you would typically want in these kinds of situations that we're choosing to play when we have Richarlison and Son on the pitch, we're almost entirely playing Son up top and Richarlison wide rather than the other way around. Mm. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how adding a player like that to our squad in the future will enable us to set up for a more patient game in the future. Um, but I'm saying I, I, I'm understanding of why we are looking to play a faster game um, in the Premier League so far this season. Mm. Yeah. Um, so if we go talk about the second half and the way the pattern of the game went, uh, Luton did come out strong, but then I thought Spurs did a really good job of building some pressure. Um, and we had three consecutive corners, the third yeah. of which we scored the goal from. Um, there's been some suggestion that the ball was still moving when we took the the corner. Does that bother you? It just stopped. I think it just. I think it just stopped at the very. You know, for a frame. Yeah. Of, of, of footage, it stopped. Yeah. It's so smart from Madison, though, isn't it? The footwork, the the dummy, the the weight of the touch to allow him to just get in and and toe poke it to Van der Ven ahead of the defender. Uh, it's really impressive stuff. So I I did a little bit of um of corner research. I rewatched all of our corners um so far this season and I didn't feel there was enough yet to do a video on um but I did notice a strong tendency for short corners this season mm. which which again suits the Potticoglu style of, you know, getting the ball in play as soon and as often as mm. quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the time we ended up like playing the ball back to Basuma who's facing a box and it's like well Basuma's not the player to be crossing the ball in the box. Um, yeah, absolutely not. But I'm definitely generally um, in favour of short corners, um, and and he was the benefit of one here. Really, really lovely footwork. 
There's um, I was listening to I think it was the Athletic podcast. They were doing a preview of um of the weekend, and they started talking about Madison. And um, they did the typical thing that people do when they 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 want to like build a point or get a bit of hype. They started comparing Madison to Ericsson. And as I was <laughs> walking my dog, I I was pondering this. I'm like, is it recency bias to say that Matt now what Ericsson did with the club obviously is is incredible, and it's Madison's got some way to go. But is it better than Ericsson? I don't know. I think there's certain things that Madison does which Ericsson can't. Do, but then there's other things which Ericsson could do and right now I just I just think Madison's like the perfect player for us and I'm not sure whether peak Ericsson would work in this even though he's good enough to work anywhere but the goal the assists that he's doing are just next level stuff and it's incredible to see that in my time watching Spurs I think perhaps Gaza was the last player that would take the ball in such tight situations wriggle his way out and set somebody up I think he, I think he's an incredible player in it, and we're really lucky to have him. He's a brilliant player. It's funny. I was thinking about this earlier. I was thinking, when wh- when is this conversation going to pop up? How long before mm. this conversation pops up? I think that um, essentially, I think that Ericsson had a, a higher ceiling, and, and and Madison has a higher floor. I think that Ericsson, um, especially under Pochettino, you know, because of the level of physicality that that we played at, he needed the ball gifted to him he couldn't fight himself into a game he couldn't take the ball um which is not to say that he was poor defensively that's a different thing but he had to have the right circumstances around him whereas madison can can go and get that ball and 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 take it for himself and do the dirty stuff um and scrap and he was a better carrier of the ball than ericsson was and so therefore he has more options available to him when he has the ball but um, when you're playing against Luton and you want someone to play a killer ball, you'd rather have Ericsson. And um, yeah, in terms of suitability for this team, it's kind of a tough pick because like we are a very, very good team and we can provide that type of player um, with a with a luxury ball <laughs> with with service. Um, and he would he could, you know Ericsson could have just picked one out from thirty yards against Luton and, mm. and and killed the game that way. But um, but Madison's ability to scrap and fight and 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 drop in and do all those things is super super helpful to us. I think also Ericsson's pressing would have suited the system really well. He's a brilliant presser. Um, I would say more of a volume passer than Madison. Like Madison yeah. does proportionately try things a lot more than Ericsson did. Um, and that's not to say he's better at them, but I think he was a. It, He's a bit more, um, he tries more low percentage stuff. Yeah. And I think that suits us really well for the where we are. And I agree, I would go a step further and say that Madison's um, personality or on-pitch personality is what we need at the moment. Like he's, he doesn't take any shit. And we've got a really nice team, aside from Romero. Um, but so you need a couple of people, you know, Son, Son, Son's the night, he's the nicest man in the world and he's our captain. You need someone who's a bit of an arsehole and, and will stand up for, for themselves and their teammates. And Madison doesn't take any shit. He's, he's always got something to say for himself. And I, I feel like that's an important quality for us on the pitch at the moment. I'm really appreciating him. I mean, we shouldn't overlook the finish from Van de Ven either. He says in his post-match press conference, um, not press conference, interview rather, that uh, he was impressed by his own finish, like the way he swiveled his hips around quickly to to get the shot in. Really good stuff. I mean, he's so, he's so, um, for such a big man, he's such a delicate mover. Mm. He's nimble. You could see him on Strictly Come Dancing gliding yeah. across the dance floor. You you wouldn't you'd look at him and say, You can't dance. But yeah, he's he's definitely he's definite glider. And every week, every week I'm more and more impressed. There's another one who's just unbelievable. And finally the commentators are starting to catch up at where we all are and they've realised that he's a sensational defender. Yeah. He he's absolutely brilliant. And the partnership with Romero goes from strength to strength as well. Romero had a fantastic game, is having a great season. Um Vicario is an unbelievable signing, to be honest. I think Vicario has been transformative. His calmness on the ball, um, his shot stopping is, on the whole, brilliant. Uh, the only thing I would say about Vicario, only thing is he did worry me a little on crosses in this game. And Luton are tough, you know, from, mm. from corners and crosses. They're tough because they're big. They're just a bunch of big guys and they're going to make it difficult. And there were a couple of times where Vicario worried me a little bit. Other than that, I think he's a magnificent goalkeeper, and I just hope we've got him for the next seven or eight years because I think he's he's so good at what he does. 
I thought I thought he did all right in the crosses. I still think he needs to improve his pings across the pitch, but um, he made some great saves. And I was I was really pro Onana, which is people keep <laughs> reminding me. I still think Onana is a brilliant goalkeeper, but who's just really struggling in a shambles. He's he, he's really good, but United are a shambles, and it's, yeah. it's having a huge impact on him. And I wanted him and Raya over over Vicario, uh, but Vicario's been spe- spectacular. He's been great. Um, should we take a minute to tell Basuma off for being an idiot? Yeah, we, sh- we should. We should <laughs> go on. I just because I um. I went back and watched the first yellow, and I think that he did have to make that tackle. I do because if he doesn't, if, or that foul, that tactical foul, if he doesn't, then it's a three v three. So I do think I don't think there's a general worry with him with him getting yellows. I mean, obviously he's picked up a few, but that's the role, and he and we're going to put him in situations, really tough situations, and he largely does very very well with them. If he picks up yellows, that's just the role, and it's our fault to not build a squad that has a as a proper backup to him in that role, right? And that's not his fault. He still has to make those fouls. Uh, why did he do that, man? Why did he? <laughs> what was the, what was that for? Like like to to win a free kick. On the like near the edge of the box, like what is the 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 risk reward there is just way way off. <laughs> I don't get it. All our players have been really smart this season on yellow cards, Basuma included. But and that's that's the first the first player we've had sent off this year. I think so. Yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, it's the first time our player hasn't been smart. I forgive him. I I don't think he's been as, as spectacular in his last couple of games as he was at the start of the season. So maybe it's not good for us, but maybe it's good for him a little rotation out. Think I think that's opposition dependent. I I guess um I guess I would say that um Basuma has saved his teammates on a number of times this season and now they've returned the favour, right? So it's all yeah, square. For sure. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. So um, I said on our or my post-match reaction pod that I do for the X-Subs, patreon.com forward slash the extra inch, um, that he gets a two-match ban for that, but that was wrong. It came out later that he gets a one-match ban and stays on four yellows, which I find somewhat bizarre. But, um, you know, he misses the game against Fulham and then he'll likely, because he's bound to pick up another yellow card sometime soon, he'll, he'll miss another game before Christmas, we think. Yeah. Um, Phil Krebs had asked a while back, how do we cope without Basuma during AFCON? Or if he gets injured again, would Benson Corps be able to operate in that role in his absence? Assuming he comes back from his injury without any dropping quality. And, and this is where we're going to find out how we cope without Basuma. And um, it was Hoybier who was asked to do the job in the second half against Luton. Obviously, down to 10 circumstances are a bit different. Yeah. But how do you feel about Hoybier covering for Basuma during January? Okay, I'll take this one, buddy. <laughs> I... Uh... <laughs> I think I simultaneously think that Hoybjerg is um, a lot better than Bardi thinks he is. Quite a bit better, probably than a lot of Spurs fans think he is. Um, a a good versatile midfielder. He's better in a midfield two than a midfield three because he's better as a generalist than a specialist. I would say. Um, who's okay in in the pivot role, taking the ball on the turn, playing back to goal, dropping in, doing those kinds of things. Um, he's he's actually really quite an incredible player to be like your first midfielder off the bench. Like to we don't have that depth elsewhere in the squad, right? To have Hoybier yeah. come on at seventy minutes. Um, I think it's quietly um, a really, really brilliant, really useful thing. And um, 
if I'm Spurs, I'm actually trying to hang on to Hoiberg, I think. But also, <laughs> I think <laughs> that he's just not quite the right profile, not quite the great quality to play that very, very difficult role that Basuma plays. And um, we'll have a better read of this in a week, or not a week, because it's the international break. We'll have a better read of this after the Fulham game. Um, but I'm a little concerned, despite the fact that I think Hoiberg's very good. Um, and that'll give us better indication of where we need to build our squad and how we need to build our squads. Um, so I guess, you know, not terrible to sort of discover that now, to learn about that now. Um, put Hoiberg in a situation where, like, he's playing amongst our first 11 to discover how well he does in that role. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be an interesting learning experience, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. He's um, he's fine. He's just not good enough to play the Basuma role. He's not um, physical enough to play the Saar role. And he's just not great enough to play the Madison role. So he doesn't suit any of our three midfield roles, whereas Benton Kirk will probably play a couple of them. So um, that's my issue with Shoeberg. He's like a one-calorie spray, you know, that oil spray you spray in your food. It's You'd rather use butter or olive oil. But if you've run out of all of that stuff, you just give it a little spray with him and you make do. He's, he's, a, he's a make-do squad player for me. I'd like to see him moved on and us buy a, a specific player that can play a role and then you have a, like not an A or B, but option to to swap like for like and i think what we're saying here is you know we're talking about basuma as a real high quality player we're talking about basuma as a what top 10 percent in the world six top five percent in the world six and you know so when i say that i don't think sar can play that role i'm comparing him with someone who i see as one of the very best in the world in that role so the same goes for Hoybier. Like I agree with Nathan that he's not going to be ideal for the six role. He's not going to do as good a job as Basuma. I think he can fill in absolutely fine against Fulham. Hopefully, uh, I worry about him playing the role for a prolonged period over January. And I, and I want to talk about this a little bit uh, later on. But before we do, I think we should talk about how we saw out the rest of the game, and in particular, I'd like to discuss Kudelski's performance. Um, which I thought was magnificent in the second half. Uh, he had that brilliant, brilliant shot in the first half, which was fingertipped just wide. And when he had that shot, if that had gone in, I was really thinking to myself, like, that is that is what we saw of Kuliseski when he first joined, like this effortless accuracy with his shooting. He just creates a tiny amount of space and then gets his shot away and, and does it so immaculately. And I was thinking, I really feel like he's back to his very best. Yeah. Um, and playing some really, really good stuff. And then I saw a completely different performance from him in the second half, and I appreciated him in a whole other way. Like, the amount of times that he had a man or two men basically hanging off his back, and he single-handedly held the ball up and brought someone else into play, or chased down the lost cause, which used up a 30 seconds or something like that. Like Troy Deeney. <laughs> Literally like that kind of <laughs> level of performance, wasn't it? It was... It was really, really, really impressive. And the, the level of versatility he showed was wonderful for the squad. Oh, yeah. He was so strong. Proper physical specimen playing the false nine. Yeah, he had, a, he had a cracking game. You're right, in two different senses. One second half was pure physicality. First half was a little bit more guile. He played well. He's had a good season so far. He's mm. un, unlucky the goalkeeper made a great save. It would, mm. it would have been nice for him to round that off. Yeah, really, really... Um... Incredible uh, grafting performance for us, giving us a constant out ball. Um, I I spoke very positively about Pedro Porro last week. I think that Porro and not so much Udogi struggled with um, how the game was going after we were a goal up, which is Luton having more of a, a spell in the game. Um, how do I phrase this? They played... They played quite a bit more physically on the wings. So they played the ball long to progress it down the wings. And then when they got the ball settled in the final third, they were switching to the back post a lot. And I think Poro struggled with both those aspects, just on a physical level. Like not, He can't just choose to grow a foot because because of the game he's playing in, right? He but also not... kept getting caught 2v1 at the back post, which was a tactical issue, I thought. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was a really, really, really good switch. To go to a back five. Yeah, same. Bring Royale on um, and push push Poro out. Um, Windy, on your um, reaction pod, you commented on the choice of Saar on the left side of midfield when mm. Skip came on. And I think that that was because, because you got Poro on the uh, right wing back 
um, as as a, as a ball carrier to get us to, to relieve some pressure as a bit of an out ball. Sar offered that ball carrying on the left side because you don't really you're not going to get too much out of Ben Davies, and so yeah. I think it was just about offering ball progression on both sides. Interesting. To, uh, that makes sense to, to give us a break every now and then. Basically, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. Um, the sort of balance with the, yeah. the, the ball carrying slash defensive responsibility on either side. Yeah, I really like that tactical move from Postecoglou. I thought that essentially won us the game in the end. That, that, that's and weird. then um, Valise also doing a pretty good um, Kulisewski impression, holding the ball up. That boy can hang in the air. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. Like, really, I've not seen that at Spurs for a while. Lorente was probably the last that I saw leap with that much vigor, but he didn't have the athleticism that Valise does. He's uh, he's putting a lot of weight up into that hang time, right? He's that's 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 a lot of boy to be holding up in the air for a whole yeah. second. <laughs> and so a like, lot of meat hanging. Yeah. <laughs> quite an intimidating game to come into for a young player, you know, on in that ground, in that scenario, with those defenders, and he looked really up for the challenge and you know, could be a useful impact player off the bench this year. Oh yeah. I mean that Lockyer, honestly, he would not have looked out of place stood on the wall, you know? He looked like he'd chosen the black and just become um, a crow. And you could you could see him knocking around on the wall. You could see him hanging out with uh, Braveheart. He's just got he's got a proper rugged face. And he he started the game with a black eye, and then he got booted in the face. And he his, his poor nose just takes a pound yeah. in every match. I think he likes it. I think he enjoys it. Mm. Sadist. I did. I, did, I do. It, and, you know, Luton will probably get relegated, but there is a little bit about them which I was just like, go on, you know. They were in a bit of spirit. Windy was right when he said they were like at FA, early stages of the FA Cup tie. They'll go down, but I do quite enjoy their energy and giving it a crack. I, I think I prefer their their attempt at staying in the Premier League over Burnley's, you know. I think Luton have just gone, this is who we are. This is how we're going to stay up. They're not pretending to be anything that they're not. And um, ultimately, they'll go down with Burnley. But um, I, I am enjoying it. I mean, they're basically old Burnley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But with even less technical quality. Mm. Terrible, terrible team. Um, so we need to talk about the league position and, and what this means for the rest of the season. Uh, Negative Dialectic says, what sort of January window would it take for us to sustain a real title push? And similarly, Paul Maslin said, Windy, why not a title chase? Didn't Ange refuse to set limits on our dreams? And Paul <laughs> goes on to give a list of reasons why we can win the league. Um, this is because I tweeted uh, that... You know, basically, that I think our first eleven is good enough under Postecoglou to to push for the title, but that our squad wasn't, and that I think that will ultimately let us down. Um, but we're really, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ange won't uh, set limits on our dreams, but uh, but but we will. <laughs> we, <laughs> we here we are to ruin the pie. I um actually sorry, it just reminded me for some reason. Um, just to reflect on on the game as a whole, like uh, last week, uh, last week, lots of Spurs fans were very happy that we got a win over Liverpool that that we'd been waiting a long time for. And I came on this podcast expecting to be the the downer to you two being quite happy about that because because it was about sort of winning in difficult circumstances, and that's that's you know that's something that you have to do in order to win the league. And while I, I was more irritated about our approach than happy about the result in that game, but I think that the Luton game is a good example of um, of having your backs against the wall and finding a way to win anyway. Um, and, and yeah, um, something that you do probably want on your side if you're going to challenge for the title. With that said... Um. Yeah, Winnie's right. We we don't have the we don't have the squad depth. Negative dialectics. Um. We we we're shy. Five six players. That would be a, a the most unprecedented January for Tottenham to have a team who who who've not signed anyone. Repeat to Januarys who maybe sometimes sign one player for the first team and and one who's more of a long term to come in next season type mm. thing. I just um. Well, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it <laughs> because, uh, you know, see how many points City are on in December, but uh, um, I don't see it happening. We probably, we'll see again with Hojbjerg, um against Fulham, but we probably need a backup number six. We need to see what kind of fitness Bentecourt can achieve. We need one, if not two, squad-level centre-backs. Um, we need a 1v1 specialist for our front line. 
we probably want to improve the quality of our depth at fullback. We could probably do with a backup, better backup goalkeeper than Forster because if Vicario is out, we're in trouble. And I think we saw that against Fulham, right? So um, I feel fairly good about Lo Celso as Madison's backup. I'd like to see him get some minutes. Um, obviously, he's returning from injury. But we're we're what is is that five or six that we're we're a few away from what we need to be, and then we'd need some luck. I mean, bit, Ma- Man City have lost three of their starters, and they look like West Brom now. So I. <laughs> Let's be honest. I think Pep's. I think Pep's lost it. And <laughs> it's very easy to have an incredible team when you got De Bruyne and Rodri. But if who's who's making those signings at um at, at City? So I think if we stay if we stay fit this first team, I think we can win the league. I I do think we can. But it's an impossibility for everybody to stay fit and yep. everybody stay on form. And I just think we we lack goals in the front three. Kulisevsky's great, but I don't think he scores enough. Richarlison does his things, but no way doesn't score nowhere near enough. And we're relying totally on Sun. Maybe Veliz could turn into a a goal machine, but we don't know. We haven't seen enough of him. So I just think there's a lack of goals there. And as you said, you know, centre back number six, there's issues there. But if we stay fit, we win the league. But yeah, won't happen. Nathan's... Maybe next season though. Maybe. <laughs> That that's it. Nathan spoke about you know five transfers being an unprecedented window. I think two is reasonable and realistic, and then you think we can get three, four, maybe five next summer, and by that point we're in a really, really strong position. As long as you know things are still going well, we've well, had no catastrophic injuries. The the trajectory yeah. is still moving in the right direction. Typically, something will go wrong in that time, and that would require that would facilitate the need for another transfer on top of that in that time, right? Someone's going to have a very bad injury, or go over the age hill, or have bad personal circumstances in their in their in their life outside of the game. You know, something something goes wrong mm. typically over that time frame. So then we're looking at six or seven transfers over two windows, which is which is on the high end. I think if you're talking about about um, first team, not first 11, but first team level players. Mm-hmm. And as before, we need sales to, to create room for those purchases. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've got a lot of selling to do over the next 12 months, I think. Uh, and that could hold us up somewhat. I mean, we're talking about Hoybier potentially covering for Basuma in January, but we know that Hoybier came really close to a move at the end of the transfer window in summer. So maybe he's the first Amador in January. Um, which could completely change the complexion of this question. And maybe Bentancourt is the one that covers for Basuma in six or yeah. skip even. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, I know Emerson Royale is really popular and I think he did a really good job against Luton, but I would be happy to see him move on and a, a player closer to Porro's um, ball progression ability comes in as a backup. I think we've got similar issues on the left with the drop off from Udogi to Davis being significant. We don't know how Sessegnon's going to come back or how he will look under... I don't think Pastor he Goblin. offers any... He doesn't fit any of the roles in the squad. Um, and he's a, um, he's like if Johnson is out injured forever. Yeah. Nathan's so nice. Nathan's such a nice person. You could have just said he's rubbish. <laughs> doesn't fit any of the roles. I mean, the thing is that I've come down from being like the the founding member of the Sessegnon hype team i was so keen on him when he was like 17 i really believed there was a special special player there and and i'm not you know i'm not apologizing on this one i'm not saying i was wrong i'm saying that his career has been derailed by injuries and 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 confidence issues and the series of coaches that he's had and it just hasn't quite clicked for him and that's a real shame you can't say you're wrong when you tip a 17-year-old for greatness, you know, it, because so there's so many variables that come into play once yeah. you're 18, 19. There's a promising 17-year-old who could do amazing things. Yeah, It didn't it. work out. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, January priority is probably centre-back, midfielder of some variety, and probably a winger, assuming that we still need to... I mean. The difficulty with the winger thing is Solomon is now out for three months. I was thinking maybe he gets loaned out in January and then sold in the summer. <laughs> um, Perisic is is injured also. I suspect we want to get rid of him ASAP, but... Well, we can unregister him in January. We can unregister either of them, I guess, and, and try and add a, a, a higher quality wing option. Um, but yeah, winger, central midfielder, centre-back, I think are the top priorities, and then we work the rest around next summer. 
Um, Rob Pethick says, I'm trying to manage my expectations. Normally I would do this by going to 538's league predictor, which would probably show us at 80% top four and 10% for the league. But it's been closed down. Do any of you know any decent alternatives? If not, can you be my statistical model and give me chances from your own experience? Uh, there isn't There isn't one. Um, 538 is really good. And there isn't one in its Why is it gone? Uh, they they changed their funding and, and the size of their operation. Um, I used to do a thing, maybe I'll redo it, where I used to um, use expected points to predict the rest of the table and expand from there. It's not a great model, um, mm. but it might be the best of what's available. Maybe I'll bother doing that again. Expected mm. points is you predicted on... Expe- yeah, expected points is... Um, uh, you you take a game and you take the share of expected goals each team had in that game and you say here's the possibility that team A won, that team B won, or that it was a draw based on like a thousand simulations. That's called the Monte Carlo method. And then you attribute a share of three points to each team based on the percentage of each of those possibilities. And then you... So it doesn't adjust for, game, adjust for game state. It doesn't adjust for game state. It doesn't adjust for difficulty of opponents. So the fewer games you've played, the wackier your sample. So it's limited. It's very limited. Um, and especially at this stage of the season where you're like, well, here's how many points the team actually has. Here's how they played in those six or seven games. Therefore, here's the rest of the table. Um, it's pretty wonky. Um and at this stage of the table, you might as well just look at expected points and say, oh, "Okay, who's top? Oh, it's City. Isn't that shocking?" And uh, <laughs> and and then call it there. I did see one of those tables that break out, break down how who's had the most difficult start to the season, and technically and statistically, we've had a harder start to the season than than a lot of other teams. So we're doing okay. I think we're middle of the pack on on most difficulty. Yeah, um, so we we're, we're below Man United, below Arsenal in terms of of, of difficulty. Okay. So we were talking just now about transfers in January, and uh, we have a new man at the helm of that. So we've appointed our technical director, Johan Langer. I assume it's Langer or Lang, um, who the, the club website states will have responsibility for recruitment, analytics and talent identification across our senior and academy teams. Uh, interesting that analytics gets its own special mention. We will do some research into this new man uh, ahead of next week's episode, which comes during the international break, and hopefully be able to give you some insights on Johan Langer. Um, but any in- immediate thoughts, Nathan? Just glad to have his appointment done? Uh, yeah. Um, I have been outspoken on Twitter um, that I think that Aston Villa's success over the last four or five years has been a bit overstated um, because in the middle of that they appointed Steven Gerrard. I think their recruitment's been good, not incredible. Um, I think hiring Emery is, you know, transformative, but that probably means that most of the credit there goes to Emery rather than his hiring. Same as, you know, um, Levy appointing Postacoglu, right? So I don't know what role he had in what. Um, I'll try and ask around. I'll do some reading. Um, but a lot of this stuff is smoke and mirrors, especially what, you know, there'll be pieces written um, in the near future, but there's only so much you can read into them because they will. It's like watching a YouTube highlight of a player, right? It will be like, here's the good things they did. Yeah. Um, and even that is just based on what, what certain people at a given club are saying, and that's based on their own opinion. So I don't have a great read on him. I don't have a, a super great read on, on Villa's um, movements over the last few years. I find it a bit confusing. Um, we were, both we and interestingly Villa were um, linked with Almany in, in that role. So interesting that we haven't gone for him because I think that the links were pretty strong for us for a while. And also interesting that Villa were looking at him for this role given that they had, um, is it Langer, did you say? Lange? Mm-hmm. Langer? You think like, Johan Langer, that makes sense. I, I think so. I, I like the idea of him being Lange because then we'll have Ange and Lange. Lange. Yeah, that's true. Let's insist that it's pronounced Lange. Lange, just for the, Johan Lange. Just for the ramp. Okay. Um, so interesting that they... they they didn't promote from within or stick with him from within. I don't really understand their, their setup. Um, so mainly I'm bringing question marks. <laughs> I, I don't have anything to add and I'll, mm-hmm. 
I'll go and do my own research and, and try to see if anyone knows what was happening at Villa the last few years. Uh, Len Dosserats says, just a request to please address some of the other Premier League games at the top of the table this week. I know that's a big ask, but a couple of huge matches of our biggest competition for the trophy. And Bardi, you've already mentioned that Man City looked like West Brom without three key players. Did you catch that match? Yeah, I watched. It was it was a misery of a game. It was awful. I mean, Conte would have loved that win for us. <laughs> it was two teams. Well, us, neither team wanted to win it. Neither team wanted to lose it. It was crap. So um, I'm going to judge them on that one game. And yeah, they're no good. Brighton, Brighton are nice to watch. Brighton are nice and interesting. But no, they're going to concede too many goals. Liverpool, they do what Liverpool do. They score some jammy penalties and that's it. So there's nothing to worry about there. West Ham, Newcastle, really nothing to worry about there. Um, Chelsea, Man United, maybe Chelsea might have a late surge. I'd worry about Chelsea having yeah having an almighty surge. I think it's between us and Chelsea with City kind of floating about for the title. I think that Manchester City will win the title. And I'm sorry that that's a boring and predictable answer, yeah. but I, yeah. I, I like they're missing De Bruyne. They're leading expected points. Um, Pep finds a way to solve any tactical issues they have over time. They're, they're, they're doing a thing which they did last season, which is they're playing with a player in Erling Haaland who only ever touches the ball in the box, right? His whole purpose is just to end moves. So anytime they're not serving him, they're playing with 10 players. And so when things are bad, I think they're exacerbated by the, by the four that they play with. But the moment things click, he will score buckets and buckets of goals and they'll walk the league. And I think that that will happen sooner rather than later. All I'm hearing there is, Erling Haaland is a one-season wonder tackle merchant <laughs> who can only score goals. I mean, it's quite easy to score goals, man, when you've got Rodri and De Bruyne knocking it to you every week. The challenge is when you've got Hoiberg, Emerson Royale, Ryan Sessegnon whipping it into you and you're scoring goals. That's that's the difference between Harry Kane and Haaland. Haaland is, you know, he's, he's an incredible design tapping merchant, but he's just, he's just not got it. They should sell now, cash in now, sell him to Real Madrid and spend the money elsewhere. I think Liverpool are annoyingly one holding midfielder away from really getting it together again. I think McAllister is looking awful in that deep-lying role. Uh, He's fine on the ball. He's terrible off it. It doesn't suit the role. He needs to be moved, and they need someone who can play that role in. And unfortunately, I do think they'll get it together after that. And I thought Salah looks unbelievable again this season, but they've got real threats with Diaz and Gakpo and Jota as well. Uh, And they concern me a bit as top four competition. So I'd say City, I think that Nathan will win the league. Um, I think Liverpool are really strong. I think Chelsea will come back strong also. Man U, don't worry me. I think Man U, they were really lucky against Brentford. I think Ten Hag, I don't really know where it's gone wrong, but it's gone wrong. I think they look pretty rough. Uh, And then you've got Newcastle and Arsenal. Um, And I I do think Arsenal have declined a bit from last year. And I think it's partly because they've tried to shoehorn in their signings. And I think they've in many ways weakened them. Newcastle are a bit of an unknown quantity playing two games a week. I don't quite know how that's going to pan out for them. Uh, and I imagine the injuries will stack up and, and maybe their squad's a little on the thin side as well. But it's it's going to be a good, exciting back end of the season this year because there's some good teams and a lot of competition. Um, so hopefully Man City won't walk it because it, it'll be nice to have a competitive end um, for a change. Um, what, do you, what do you think of Arsenal, Bardi? Um, I think I think they're okay. I think they have some good players. I think they're pretty decent at pressing. I just I don't think they've got goals in them. Gabriel Jesus um, and Ketia just don't score enough goals. They're relying on Sacco and you know the boys played eighty five something mad consecutive games and he's like twenty two years old. So his legs are always going to fall off at some point. They're <laughs> over reliant on him and I just don't think I just don't think it's going to work. Salah's having a great spell, but mm. we'll see what happens when he comes back from African Cup of Nations because this is a good point. He's been there before where he's been on a real crest of a wave, gone out there and really, you know, he got Egypt always go deep in that competition. Mm. And we see how he returns because he's returned before completely wiped and just not been able to do it. Mm. So um, I think it's a really open Premier League season. I think it's the first time that I can remember three or four teams being in the mix. But Chelsea do worry me. Mm. I think Pochettino might finally start putting it together and that's that's a concern so Villa hired Monchi in 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 the director role I'm so confused about what's been going on there the last few years what a what a confusing story to follow 
You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.